Okay. Hello, everyone. Glory be to God. We're going to take a look at sufficiency of Scripture. But before we do anything, let's bow our heads. Please join me with a quick prayer. Lord in heaven, you are the great I am. You're the air I breathe, and you're the electric that keeps my heart pumping. You give me my thoughts. You sanctify me daily. You're everything to myself and to all of us born-again children. We ask right now that your Holy Spirit would come upon us and illuminate the things you want us to know about the sufficiency of your scripture. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this study today is going to be on the sufficiency of God's word. And by the time we're finished, I'm hoping that everyone will have a new, fresh idea of and confidence of going to God's word while we're here on the planet. And remember how he left it for us, and I've got some fun fun information for you. So let's, um, I, I started off here with a definition of the word sufficient as part of the study. Since this is such a big deal, by the time we finish, I hope you realize how important this is. Um, so I looked, of course, at Webster's Dictionary, and it came up kind of dry. It just says, the means to meet one's needs. And that's it. So I, I looked up original language, and I came across, um, I went into Blue Letter Bible, and started looking in the original, original language and um, found the Greek word in the New Testament. This word sufficient um, has two different main uses, one kind of more in the Old Testament, but eight times in the New Testament, it's used with the meaning and context of to be possessed of unfailing strength, to be satisfied, and to be content. In the Old Testament, it was used commonly to be strong, to suffice, to be enough, but their context was to defend, to ward off. It was referring to walls of a city, forts, raising a barrier, and that being fortified and sufficient and strong to keep the enemy away. And in the New Testament, Strong's G714, archaeo is the word. In uh, Hebrew use, it's G142. And, but sticking mainly to the use um, in this study, we want to take a look at God's word, meaning it is enough for us. It's fulfilling. It's complete. And it has everything we need for our lives here on the planet. And a couple of quotes here. You guys know, of course, with this world study and this little confession. Well, the very first sentence, chapter 1, verse 1, states this. The Holy Scriptures are the only sufficient, certain, an infallible standard of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. And sometimes we graze right over these sentences because it got, it's the first one of the whole book in the first chapter. And uh, so that's from our confession. We have Thomas Watson. He's uh, the author of the Puritan Golden Treasury. He states it like this, the scripture is the library of the Holy Ghost. It is a pandect of divine knowledge, an exact model and platform of religion. The scripture contains in it the credenda, which is the things we are to believe in, and the agenda, which are the things that we are to practice, the way we're to live our lives as God-fearing, born-again Christians. 
All the answers are right there in the Bible. We have a little quote from Martin Luther. He puts Bible sufficiency like this. I have covenanted with my Lord that he should not send me visions or dreams or even angels. I am content with this gift of the scriptures, which teaches and supplies all that is necessary or sufficient, both for this life and that which is to come. Thought that was nice. God's word is complete. Our, our friend John MacArthur, on, on the book, on, he wrote a book uh, called Can You Trust? You Can Trust the Bible. And the theme is all in Bible sufficiency. He writes, even though the Bible is an ancient document, every person in every situation, in every society that ever existed can find in this book things that endure forever. Here's a book that never needs another edition. It never needs to be edited, never needs to be updated, is never out of date or obsolete. It speaks to us as pointedly and directly as it ever has to anyone in any century since it's been written. And get this, he writes, it's so pure that it lasts forever. But that was a good quote. So I picked these things out to encourage you guys. And because when I was studying, they, they struck me. And I needed to hear this. I needed to hear this because I was a person who would, at times of need, puzzled, alone. Um, sometimes I would go to brothers for answers. Sometimes I would go to the pastors. And then, but late, prior to about 18 months and prior, I was running to psychologists and psychiatrists. But when I looked up, when I realized and learned that they were representing all of man-made's opinions, man-made opinions about how we're supposed to live, I was appalled. And, you know, knowing that the Holy Spirit dwells in me, and we have the God who created the universe, it's so big. We don't even have telescopes that can see it as far as it ends. It's so big. He's so vast, and he's so powerful. He knows everything. He's everywhere at once. Literally, he's beyond our understanding. And the only way we can get to know him is through his word and the Holy Spirit that dwells in us who helps us move a little closer to him. And how we live our lives matters on how close he's going to bring us to God. Um, so then we went in, then I went into, so we have the Webster's definition, it was kind of bland. I went into Strong's definition, pretty good. Uh, the last thing I did was, of course, we're studying in Grudem's book here. I just wanted to read his quote and his definition for scripture. He writes, this is uh, page 58 if you have your book. The sufficiency of scripture. It says the sufficiency of scripture means that scripture contained all the words of God he intended his people to have at each stage of redemptive history. Comma. He writes, and that is now, that it now contains everything we need God to tell us for salvation for trusting him perfectly and for obeying him perfectly. The definition emphasizes that the fact is that the scripture alone, we ought to search for God's words and realize that the Bible is thorough, sufficient. We should rejoice in the great revelation that he has given us and be content with it. So, going to be no more counselors, no more worldly counselors for me for sure since I did this study. I just want to know what the Lord says and um, the Bible will teach you some things out there but not everything so we'll read a few more quotes. Pastor Paul can you read that little quote 
about now. Thank you. You might want to wait for a microphone. And some of you no doubt have heard of the Puritan Golden Treasury. Henry Smith was one of the authors in that. And in this topic, Bible sufficiency, he writes, He doth not bid us take a taste of all sins and vanities, as Solomon did, to try them. For they are tried already. But that we should set the word of God always before us like a rule, and believe nothing but that which it teacheth, love nothing but that which it prescribeth, hate nothing but that which it forbiddeth, and do nothing but that which is commandeth. And then we try all things by the word. And I would add this sufficiency. In Deuteronomy 4.2, and Revelation 22.18 and 19, it speaks about you shall not add or you shall not subtract. And they, that's there because it's all sufficient and woe to the one who would add or subtract. Yes. Uh, a scary warning there too. I'm, I'm glad I'm out of Catholicism. Those guys are going to be there at end times. We're going to get to see what the Lord does with them. So it goes on here to say that um, we're Christian living. It's uh, suitable and sufficient for Christian living to bring God glory. He uses uh, Psalm 119, verse 1. Anyone know what that says? What's that? Psalm 119, 1. Well, that I do know. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Blessed be the undefiled in the way that walk in the law of the Lord. Yeah. And then the other blessed, the right following says, Blessed are they who keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. Yes. We good. Nice to have that plan in your heart, brother. So um, he also takes us over to Psalm 119.9. And that's the little verse. I don't want to put you on the spot, but you, you probably know it. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to my word. Yeah, beautiful. We just have to be immersed in the Word, not in the world, and people of the world, in the world ways. Well, what is so good, um, and I say this to encourage you, there's nothing so wonderful when you're laying in bed and you can't sleep, and just let these verses roll over your mind. That is so good. <laughs> it really is. Here's a little quote from the Westminster Divines. It's also in our 18th. Uh, 18, uh, 1689 confession, St. chapter, it says, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, life, is either expressly set down in scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deducted from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation to the Spirit or traditions of men. That's from the Westminster Confession. So you're thinking you were there. Then we have, uh, and the last Scripture he gives, somebody here, well, I'll get it. Um, if you want to turn your Bible, there's a great place. I think if I was to pick out a scripture that themed out this whole study, it would be 2 Timothy 3, 15, 16, 17. I would leave that. If somebody's there already, if you could read it out loudly and clearly and slowly and proudly. This is such a beautiful study of its own. 2 Timothy 3. What, what, no, I'll do it. What are the verses? You want to stand up? You want a microphone? Yeah, go, brother. Nice and slow. Verse, verse starting from where? We're going to go 15. 15 on. Um, yeah. And and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise 
for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Thank you. So that, if anyone out there is kind of swaying about God, His Word, and this is a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, uh, Timothy in Ephesus, after Bob would just talked about it, um, read that slowly to yourselves. It's really, it's really packed with what God's word is. And even though it's old, or might um, people say it's outdated, I think you all know that it's not. It's applicable in today's world. And it is mentioned a lot. Here's, here's a, uh, another. This is a Joe. Anyone know who Joe Morecraft is? author. He wrote the book, How God Wants Us to Worship Him. And he says, sola scriptura, which means scripture only. Uh, I think it's in Latin. And, and it, it is, as the Coptic says, it's a com- comprehensive and complete revelation of the will of God for us by which we can which we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Such a complete, perfect, eternal, all-embracing, and all-sufficient revelation from God that it will never need amending, correction, or supplementation. Uh, there we go. Similar, so back up to similar things. You guys are both wrote uh, about Second Timothy 3.16, this one is 3.16.17, this is our, everyone knows John Coffey, but this is from another book called Strange Fire, preoccupied with mystical encounters and emotional ecstasies, many seek ongoing revelation from heaven. I'm going to ask a question at the end, but just remember that, because I'm going to ask if you guys can think of any examples of that. Meaning that for them, the Bible alone is simply not enough. With them, the same people, biblical revelation must be supplemented with personal words from God, supposed impressions from the Holy Spirit, and other objective religious experiences. That kind of thinking is an outright rejection of the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. Second Timothy three sixteen seventeen. It's a recipe for far-reaching theological disaster when man says God's word and starts uh, writing his own things in there. Anybody uh, have any examples of faiths, churches, religions, men that disagree with the Bible and twist it into their own means and actually got a whole bunch of people to follow them. And when, when, um, recently, I get an awful lot of mail from Roman Catholics. And um, uh, recently, uh, this one organization sent me the rosary. And I took the time to read it all. And I wrote back and I said, what you have written about the rosary is absolutely blasphemous because you put on the same level with Jesus Christ, Mary, and the saints. And I said, you exalt Mary, but when you quoted her Magnificat, you let out what she says, oh God, my Savior. I said, I wrote in my letter, I said, Mary needed a Savior just like the rest of us sinners. So I'm only pointing that out because they are really strong. They don't read the Bible. What they do, they take a, a verse here, a verse there, and then put in the church's religion. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, 
I was thinking I had gone, when I first came to know the Lord, I was in the Church of Christ, and they believed that you were saved by the waters of baptism, that baptism was not the outward manifestation of faith, but in order to be saved, you had to be baptized, but in order to be baptized, you had to first repent of your sin, but they determined what repentance was. So it was totally, it was control is what it was. You think? just thinking a lot of these um, Pentecostal churches they have prophets and prophetesses that um, they would ask you to stand up and then they'll tell you they have a word of God for you and if yes God told me to tell you and I that always rankers me and I always, I know I'm a troublemaker, so I was always hoping they would call me to stand up so that they could tell me that God have a word for me so that I could tell them what I really, really believe. But they never did. I guess they saw my face. But anything God wants me to know is in the Bible. I don't need anybody. And he said, do not add, when he said, do not add to the word in Revelations 22, that's also, if they are saying God told me to tell you, they're adding to the word. I don't think they realize that, but they're adding to the word of the scriptures. I think equally as dangerous as that is when somebody comes up and says, God just spoke to me and he said, I feel like saying, what kind of accent does he have? Does he have a deep voice? Um, yeah, good, good example. Anybody else? Yes. It seems like Marvin don't like me. You walk away from me. <laughs> yes, uh, I can remember uh, 12 years ago coming from the Jehovah Witness and coming to Grace and Truth. The preaching was totally different. And I can remember for three years I was at the Jehovah Witness. Every year they asked me to come and get baptized. But for some reason, the feeling in me, I wasn't ready. Because I could never, every Sunday go home, I could never remember what to say. So I know it, wait, it's not right for me. But like the Jehovah Witness, uh, they don't believe in the Trinity. Uh, and they don't believe that Jesus died on a cross. They believe Jesus died on a stick. And they don't believe in, well, to put it this way, they read, the, they translate the Bible in their own way. And as you said earlier, that anytime you remove the word of God and put your own ways in there, you're totally destroying the Bible. And to me, that's what I think that they did. Amen. Right. And I'm wondering with that, is if you do take anything away, what is the Lord going to do? Take your name out of the book of your life. That's security. Yes, that. Wow. One, of the <clears throat> one of the things that I have noticed over the years is that we can easily as evangelicals look to other men's teachings or confessions as equally authoritative to scripture so for example while we go over the baptist 1689 confession each week in church there are parts of it that that i don't agree with so i don't subscribe to any confession 100 percent because the Bible is sufficient. The Bible is our ultimate rule of faith. Confessions have their value in that, in that they're summarizations of what the Bible teaches, but they're not, in, they're not divinely inspired, and they're not infallible. The same way I noticed that, you know, we may have our favorite teachers. So I remember years ago, Grace and Truth, when we were in our old building, and we were debating something in Sunday school, and Somebody says, well, my John MacArthur Bible study says this. And they quoted John MacArthur. And he says, is John MacArthur's commentary notes divinely inspired? And I feel like sometimes that we can, you know, a Christian could be led 
to believe that those notes are inspired and are infallible, and they're not. They're commentary, and that's all that they are. And the same thing with me as a preacher. I'm not infallible, and I'm not, you know, uh, I don't have an inerrant view of Scripture. And so that's why I think as Christians, we each need to look to the Bible as our all-sufficient means of revelation. Just to hop on what you said, um, the, the verse 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is inspired by God. And the word there is theonustos, God breathed. So only scripture is in that category of God breathed. And as helpful as creeds, confessions, and commentaries are, they don't fall under the ca- uh, category of theonustos, God breathed. Only the word of God is. So uh, they are helpful. We use it. It guides us in the right direction. But there, in the end of the day, only scripture is God breathed and our authority. Amen. Oh, no, I was, um, I was just going to give the example given to us in scripture in, in Galatians, where Paul writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you to the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The, the idea of, of turning to, to, to ideas that aren't given to us in Scripture is as old as the church itself. It's, it's a constant uh, temptation for the church. Christian living, the Bible stands alone as 
God's word does not need to be supplemented by any human wisdom, ingenuity, philosophy, or psychology. Amen. That's good one. So then um, he goes on to say a couple other things in here. Um, one, since we're on the topic, uh, as far as the outline is concerned, we're kind of on number three, living a holy life. And has anybody here, I wanted to ask the question out there to you brothers and sisters, since the word is, I, I, I'm looking out and I've discerned that a lot of you are truly spirit-filled and born again, but has anybody, has everybody here been called? You, has, anyone, has anyone here read the word of God and it just struck you and it, a light came on and you were born again? Anybody like that? No hands? Everybody here was called, officially called. Okay. Ah, well, um, when it says in Second Timothy, it says that it gives us the it, it gives us the words necessary to make us wise for salvation. Everything we need to know about God and salvation is in here, so we know the living God He left this for us. Um, the reason I'm asking is that I've met a few people who expressed to me that they were born again from reading God's Word. And they were just saying it and reading it and God swept them up just from reading the Word. It wasn't like that for me. I had what they might call an effectual call. And um, I would call it the 2010 slap down in my life. <laughs> he called me, that was it. Yes? <laughs> Ask a question. How many were converted under the preaching of the gospel. How many? You want me to ask that? No, I, I want to ask that. I'd like to give my own testimony. Sure. Um, I had a head conversion, and I thought I was a super Christian until I heard a sermon on what it means to really believe. And what it means to really believe is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. I never did that. And that's what led to my salvation. That's when I were delivered by the preaching of the gospel. Thank you. That's um, a little bit scary, but um, I talked to Pastor Bob about this in, in chapter um, chapter 10. It's called The, the Eventual Calling. And there's a section, a little paragraph here, it says, those who are not elect will not and cannot truly come to Christ and therefore cannot be saved, comma, because they are not effectually drawn by the Father. They may even be called by the ministry of the Word and may receive some ordinary working of the Holy Spirit without being saved. It's kind of scary to think about. Much less they can be saved uh, who do not receive the Christian religion, no matter how diligently they live their lives according to the light of nature and the teachings of the religion they profess. So that, yeah, it takes the work of the Holy Spirit. You know that. It's good testimony. So, moving right along, any other examples of people? I, I, it, it might be, I have something put aside if, if no one else does, but um, an example of you're in trouble, you're struggling, you're confused, um, people, family who isn't saved, and your neighbors, and everyone at work telling you that this is, and you know it's the world. And somehow the Holy Spirit just kind of makes you go, read the Bible, right there. It's in there. And you search the scriptures. Um, anybody have any recent trauma, anything that... Go ahead. I don't have recent trauma. I was just quickly going to say something. Um, yesterday, we had an experience, because I was just piggybacking off what Pastor Paul was saying um, and what you were just read. Um, we were at a youth or some event in the Bronx, Pentecostal, and it was very alarming because a lot of the people who were giving the testimonies, it was based on what they had done, basically. So I gave myself to the Lord, and I... 
I accepted the Lord and and um, a lot of the the younger you know the younger people who were giving their testimonies they had sort of drifted away from the Lord and then they came back to the Lord <laughs> type thing um, they want to be reborn again right right so it was just a, it was a lot of like inconsistencies and basically just nothing and even throughout the whole um, singing and uh, it was ve- it was Hallelujah. very it was very loud it was very man centered it was basically about the performances the songs that were being sung that were written by you know the people singing them it was most of it it was in spanish i didn't understand but according to like brother marvin and eric and sister christina it was all none, n- never was um, christ mentioned the gospel wasn't in there well, so yeah i just thought i'd yeah. share it's good experience going through that though because you came out of it not influenced. Right. And the Holy Spirit within you kept you, and, and uh, he gives you that check, and you have other people in your life around you that are good influences. Praise the Lord. Marvin, did you have something to say? No, I, I was just at, I would add to that that it was just, it was, trauma, it was traumatizing for me. It was like, I, I, I just, I, we, we got there very late. And we were there, we sat under that for two hours. And they still were going to continue, they were continuing. We was like, we were like, no, we have to leave. I, I couldn't do it anymore. I, you know, so they say like, you go, when you go to church, you go in one way and you, you, you come out different because of the word of God. But there I came out worse than when I entered. <laughs> With like a with a headache, I came out with a headache because there was no the, no Bible was ever open, no no scripture was ever referenced. Um, maybe one time, but out of those two hours, um, everything was subjective and feelings and dreams and God told me, um, and it was just. It was just alarming, but at the same time, we, were th- we came out of there thankful that God has shown us his word, that his word is sufficient, and that his word is our guide. It is, it is our worldview. It is who, you know, the word who is who we follow, Christ. But, man, it was really, it was just really a traumatizing experience, and also... Uh, very saddened too at the same time for the people that are there that are actually believing that their feelings and their experiences saved there was no gospel not one testimony of how they came to to the lord not sure which lord but it, it, there was no gospel preached whatsoever and i just end to say this that I was also led to a quote um, by by Leonard, Leonard Ravenhill, and this is what remind it reminded me of what we experienced. He said, "Because there isn't enough joy in the house of God, we need entertainment." And all we all that all that was missing, I was sharing with the brothers and the sisters, was uh, like the circus for somebody to come doing flips. That was the only thing missing. Um, and so I would also say that because scripture um, and God isn't sufficient, we need entertainment. Yeah. It's, it's uh, terrible. Thanks for that testimony. It kind of reminds me of that scripture. Uh, how does it go? Wide is the road that leads to destruction, and everybody's on it, but narrow is the path leading to everlasting life, and it's hard to find fuel beyond it. Yeah. People just don't know that they're being deceived. It's sad. Unless they're immersed in God's word and they kind of have a concept of this Bible, um, they're going to be led astray. There's no foundation, no grounding. So um, here's another little quote. Of course, this isn't scripture, but these are uh, kind of powerhouse people. This man, John Thompson, uh, this is on the topic of Bible sufficiency. His book is is written, it's, it's titled, the, Sufficient, the Sufficiency of Scripture. He writes, 
Those who have sidestepped, even inadvertently, the authority of a fully sufficient Bible have strayed in two opposite directions. Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, and authoritative, or authoritative, authoritative, okay, somebody say it. <laughs> I'll say it fast three times. Uh, authoritarian cults have wrongly given autonomy and final authority to the church. At the other end of the spectrum are those who, in reaction to an authoritarian church, I have to practice that tonight, have skirted a fully sufficient Bible by giving autonomy and final authority to the individual's conscience and reason. Peace, brother. Thanks. Thanks. And last, he says, they assert that every believer, get this, every believer has the unfettered right to interpret the scriptures not only for himself, but by himself. So um, what we're going to do now, there's a lot, I have a lot more quotes, but I'm going to, I want to close with an application with, um, I'm, there, this, so I'm going to read these through and these should be the application for you, okay? Um, this man I just talked about, he wrote this book, The Sufficiency of Scripture, Bible, I mean, um, John Thompson. I like what he says here, so I'm going to end with this. Um, Sola Scriptura makes a transformation in your trust. What kind of trust? We're talking about your conviction and confidence is no longer in psychology, social theory, corporate business models, modern marketing techniques, but rather in the fully sufficient, there's that word again, fully sufficient word of God. For personal life, family life, family life, church life, indeed for all of life, vocational, political, community, the comprehensive principles, precepts, practices, and prudence of, the, of God's word is your safe and sure guide. Same book he goes on to say, Embracing sola scriptura will radically alter your attitudes. And as I read through this, this would just be, uh, it's going, it arouses profound gratitude to God for his rich supply to his children of everything we need for life and godliness. Praise God he did that for us. It inspires confidence in the word of God as complete, perfect, all-embracing and all-sufficient revelation from God that it will never need amendment, correction, something like this. It begets, it begets humility. It begets humility regarding your own opinions and a deep suspicion toward your autonomous conscience and reason. It produces admiration and appreciation for the larger body of Christ and other times and places and document. The documents, the creeds that we read, the confessions, catechisms, commentaries, which they've labored to leave for understanding and benefit. And finally, it encourages submission to Scripture's God, who alone has ultimate authority in your life, and the one who is in charge who gets the final word. So if you don't think God's in control or sovereign, he'll show you. Every mouth will confess, every knee will bow, I think the Bible says. Glad the battle is the Lord's. Last, we're going to close with this, and there's some practical ap application in this. Anybody have any questions right now? Yes. We're talking about the sufficiency of Scripture, and not that shows the sufficiency of Scripture, and it's the words of our Lord to the Pharisees in John 5:39. He says, "Search the Scriptures, for they testify of me." And so we know that the Lord Jesus is throughout the scriptures, and if he isn't sufficient, then who is? Yeah. I love that when he corrected, he rebuked the Pharisee. He was, he was always going, have you not read the scriptures? <laughs> you know, he puts him right on the spot. Amen. Okay, and then... I 
So I had a quick testimony. Well, I'll skip it. I'm going to close with this. Um, this the same same author, same book, the sufficiency of Scripture. John Thompson. In closing, he writes, "Sola Scriptura will bring about a revolution in your reading, studying, and living of Scripture, knowing now the incredible life-changing resource that God put into our hands." You will develop a specific plan to read, to study the whole Bible through. Listen, it in, listen to it in the car. Listen to sermons in the car, wherever you are. Help your spouse and children read and study more. Memorize God's scriptures, his promises. It helps you escape the corruption of the world. What scripture comes up to mind? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Does anyone know that by heart? Roman, no, I know you do, Paul. <laughs> you already got a hit last time. Who? I need somebody to come up. Anybody? If no one knows Romans 12, 1 and 2, then Paul, get up to bat. <laughs> I beseech you. Uh, she got, we'll get in. We have a shot at it. And then um, the sentence before that, anybody can, can think about where it says, uh, help your spouse and children read and study more. Mm-hmm. What scriptures would, mm-hmm. I know I have them, but anybody want to say, well, how about Ephesians 5.25? We need to help our wives study, disciple her. First Timothy 3, um, Titus 3, all about having your wives and kids and in order and it's, it's talking about discipling them. So, could you say that louder? Yes. And, um, yeah, it says uh, when you leave your house and you come in your house, when you leave, so you're in it, yeah, just a constant. They used to have those little devices on their headwear that had scripture on it, Jewish people. What were they called? Yes. Touch it. on the tip of my tongue too that's okay I think these guys all know from reading Leviticus yeah that's it thanks
Okay, and um, he closes out, he says, um, let's see, going back, memorizing God's word, pray through the scriptures, asking God for help, in applying them, write specific applications that God wants you to, meditate on the special portions of God's word, remove those things from your life that quench your thirst for scripture. I think he's talking about sin. And to get involved in a church fellowship where God's word is faithfully taught. And as the complete, perfect, all-embracing, all-sufficient revelation from God that will never need amending, correction, or supplementation. So that's basically the rest of what he wrote in his um, chapter here. There's a couple warnings and applications in the back not to add or take away any scripture. Pastor Paul talked about that. And um, so if there's not any other questions, I, I would close out by saying you really, we need to go to God's word for problems and questions. And I know when I was a new believer, it was intimidating to me to, uh, where would I find an answer in here? I, I don't know where to start. So somebody at the church had an index. It was like a, kind of almost like a track. And it was, it was an index and it had the list of all the problems you could have in life and the scriptures to follow. And I carried that around for two or three years and it helped me grow because I could get quickly get to the spot and kind of find out what God was saying about that. So without that little index, I don't know where, I'd, I'd probably be a few years behind in my sanctification or understanding of God's word. So that's pretty much what I had for everybody. And uh, the sufficiency of scripture, it is sufficient for, to, to help us live a Christian life. It's sufficient, it has all the answers you need in it. It's sufficient in any way or form. So let's all help each other, encourage each other to read it and divulge it and any answers be scriptural. I love you guys. Let's pray. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this time to study and show us the sufficiency of your word. We thank you, Lord, that your, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I, I ask that you would give everybody travel mercies on the way home. Help the Holy Spirit illuminate this. Help us be doers of the word, not just hearers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.